During video clips and it ticks you off because we stopped it, didn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> there's six things that I know about you, or actually there are five things, and one is actually a summary statement of, hopefully of hope. Six things, six presuppositions that I do not have time to develop this morning, but I kind of need to go through quickly with you in order for the rest of this uh, our time together to make kind of any sense. Six of them, five things that I know about you and I know about me, and like I said, a statement of hope at the end of it. The first thing is, is that you and I were designed by Almighty God and to be made in His image. You and I were created by the Creator in His image. The Bible even says in Genesis 1, I've I've given you some scripture references here for you to look up. We don't have time to look at them now. If you want to develop these thoughts further, go right ahead. But Genesis 1, it says, in our likeness. And he, he's saying somehow humans have a, a, an image or a likeness like God. Second thing, one of the most important aspects to being made in the image of God is your capacity for relationships. You and I were created in the image of God, and one of the most important aspects of that is you and I were created for relationship. In fact, we were created for perfect relationships. First thing is, you and I were created in the image of God. Second thing, you and I were created, part of that imageness is to be created to have a capacity for relationships, perfect relationships. You can see it in God himself with the Trinity. There's a perfect relationship. There's a perfect community, if you want to call it that, of the three in one, forever existing, in relationship with one another. The third thing is, is because you and I live in a fallen world, what that means is we live on this side of Genesis chapter 3. We live after sin has come into the world. Because you and I live into a fallen world, you don't have a single perfect relationship. Fourth thing, because of that, you have a distinct feeling somewhere deep within you that says something is not right. Something is haywire here. I am a fish created for water and I'm not living in water. Something isn't right. I feel this and you feel this. And it's a sense of loneliness. There's a sense of, I was created for the type of relationships where everything's hunky-dory, everything's perfect, and it's, it's not that way. Fifth thing is you and I, and I, I'm, I'm this is a presupposition now, so we can argue about it later. I'm just laying it down as one of my presuppositions, my ideas that I need to build on everything else I want to say this morning is you have two polar reactions to this, to the fact that you were created in the image of God, you're created for relationships of which you have, perfect relationships of which you have none. You have two reactions to that. The first one is you get yourself into relationships where you, you, you take from people. You, you want them to fill you up. You, you, you go and you try to get things from them. And you may go along in a relationship long enough until you realize that this person doesn't accept me enough for the way I am or, or, or I am um, not being filled up enough by this person and then you push them away. Now, it may happen with two different types of people. You may pull some people towards you and push others or it may happen with just one person. I call this a push-pull relationship. Because I'm created in the image of God, designed for perfect relationships of which I have none, 
Every relationship I have says this. Come here, get close to me. No, really, get close. And that's what's going on with you and me. The sixth thing and the last thing is there is hope to this. And the answer is that people can't fill you. People were never meant to fill you. You were created for a relationship, but you're created with the one who designed you. And that's Christ. The only answer to our lonely hearts is Jesus. You get filled with him, and then you're able to give yourself to other people. God is the source. People are a resource to point you to the source. If you, if you and I lived our lives just taking those sip, six simple things and lived them out, we would be, we'd be different. Our relationships would be different. We're in a continuing study of the book of Acts, and uh, uh, the, my, one of, I told the LDIers this, this week, or I think I told maybe a week ago, uh, my life goal is to preach through the book of Romans someday, and so we will make it through Acts before I retire uh, hopefully here. We're in, in a series in the book of Acts called Church on Fire, and which means we're looking at how did the early church get ex so excited about Christ, how did their lives get so transformed by Jesus and by the, the, the church around them and by reaching people who didn't know Christ yet, that that changed them. They were transformed. They were different. The church was just on fire. It was alive. We're in a mini-series on this, on, on chapter 2. We're going to stay here for, this is our third of five weeks, on Acts 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And I kind of want to catch up to speed a little bit of what's happened in case it's your first time here. Uh, we see in the book of Acts, Jesus has given his disciples a, a command to, to reach the people around them. And the Holy Spirit came on them in chapter 2 uh, and, in a powerful way, filled them up. And then Peter gives his first sermon. At the end of that sermon, we see in Acts 2.41... Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the reason for the heading here, that's a lot of fish to clean, is because I take my boys fishing, and they love to catch fish, and I have a dual reaction when they catch fish. Wow, that's a great. Now i got to clean that, because, you know, these kids don't handle fillet knives real well. So... Actually, I go fishing with about 13 guys where only two of us know how to clean fish, so it's kind of a little bit multiplied by that. And about two of us clean out 50-some walleye. 3,000 walleye. That's a lot of fish to clean. Oh, great, another person came to Christ. Great. Wow. What did they do? What did they do to do follow-up care? Now, don't take it wrong. If you're investigating, we, we love to have people here who are just kicking the tires of, of Jesus Christ, kicking the tires of Christianity. We're not going to fillet you, okay, if you <laughs> decide to make a commitment to Christ. That's just an analogy. Uh, 3,000 people. What did they do? And that's why we're stopping and saying, what does it mean to do follow through care with people? What does it mean? And I think in some ways there's some real healthy elements of what the church is about. What does that look like? It's right here in these six verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Let's read that, the whole thing. And we're just going to focus on um, the 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th word of that whole thing this time again. But we want to read the whole thing in context. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, 
This is the 3,000 plus the original 120. They all devoted themselves to these things. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. More fish to clean every day. Cool. Very cool. This, you know, as I remember as a very, very young person in the faith, reading this passage and thinking through how cool it would be to be there. And I was part of a very small Bible study, and I felt elements of this for the first time in my life. And they were just, you know, jokers from the dorm. But they lo we loved on each other. It was cool. Now, not all these things. Nobody sold their possessions and gave to me. <clears throat> hint, hint. If No. Uh, but it, 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 there was a sense where I, you could dream about what the church can be. And this passage right here is one of the reasons that I wanted to do the book of Acts was to dream about what we could be as a church and as we continue to see more and more people, how we can be involved with more and more people being part of this kind of a, kind of a church. What I want to focus on this week is just the phrase, and to the fellowship. Just those words, and to the fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, breaking of bread and to prayer. They were devoted to this thing. So what is this thing that they're devoted to? I'm, you know, I'm not into always using the original language. This is one you got to know, though. It's just a great word. The word is koinonia. Maybe you've heard that word. There are camps named koinonia. Koinonia is, is the Greek word where this comes from, where the, where the word fellowship is, is from, and it means an association or a community or a communion, a, a, a tightness, a joint participation. But the interesting thing is it comes from, its root is, the word koinos. Does that ring any bells? No, of course not. But it, it, that means common. Common. What do we have in common? In fact, uh, did anybody bring their uh, uh, New Testament Greek with them? No. But if you if you'd notice what kind of Greek the New Testament is written in, it's written in, Michael, what? Koine Greek. Must have been another Michael. Koine Greek. In other words, if you, if you study the Greek uh, language, Koine Greek is the language of the people. It's the butcher's language. The Bible was written, the New Testament was written in butcher's language, okay? And so it's the common language. That's the, the root of this word. It is common. It is what drives us together. Now, if you know me, you've been around me long enough, you know I, I, I had a professor in seminary who always would explain church history by thinking through what BQs they were thinking of. The BQs were, what was the big question? What was the big question they were thinking of? I have three BQs this morning that I want to process with you as I think through this passage and to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. First BQ. What is the purpose, or what's the ground, or what's the, the, the thing that it stands on to this fellowship? Is it, or uh, I'm going to use the word biblical community, because I like that phrase. I think that's what we're after here, is biblical community. 
Is it primarily to satisfy my loneliness? Profound question. Is it to satisfy my loneliness? Or is there something bigger involved here? If you've got your Bible with you, flip it over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is like uh, fourth or fifth in the end of the, of the book there. Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> verses 19 through 25. And I, I want to read this through to you, then I want to kind of just parse it a little bit and, and take a look at what's the, what's the meaning, what's the real reason, what's the purpose of biblical community. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, <clears throat> since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I want to just kind of do a little bit of, uh, of just observations here at this passage. There are two senses, and I actually miscounted it. There are five lettuces. Okay, first the two senses. First one. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. I'm just going to ruin it. I'm sorry. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you one more week and then I'm talking about the movie The Passion, all right? But there's one scene in there that if you don't know what's going on, you won't get it. There's a scene where at the temple, you see, you kind of make it out that it's the temple and there's this curtain and it's just shredded in two. Now, you might just think that's a judgment upon the temple or whatever. No, 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 no. You missed the, you, it's not explained in the movie and it's not even explained necessarily in the Bible when it just gives the account. So I'm not faulting Gibson here. He did just what the Bible says. But you, you, this, this passage makes it clear. What happened when Jesus died and the curtain was shred in two? Well, what that was, was it was a dividing thing between what was called the most holy of holies. That's where God resided. And the ordinary people, or even the priests, the priests could only go in there once a year. And when Jesus died, that curtain was shredded. Pretty cool, huh? Not, not, not just that the curtain shredded, that means doors open. Come on in. That's what this says. Since we have confidence, confidence to enter the most holy place. Now, let me tell you, if before the curtain was shredded, if you went into the most holy place, how they did it is they, you put a little bell on your, on your ankle and it had a rope on you. The reason was for if you sinned in the presence of God, you were done. You were toast. And no one else was going in there to get you, so they rope, used the rope to pull you out of there. They had the little bell on there, so if you didn't hear a bell after a while, you just realized, well, that one's done. Go get another guy. <laughs> so you pulled him out. That's what this pastor is saying. That's where you can go now because of Christ. You have confidence to enter the most holy place. Why? Not because you're a great person, and I'm sure you are. That's not why. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through that curtain. That is his body. 
He gave it up and you can go there. Secondly, second since, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Christ is that priest. A priest is an intermediary between you and God. Jesus is the last priest. He's it. He's the last one. In fact, he was not only the priest, he was the sacrifice that he went in there to sacrifice. He is the great priest for you. He's totally sufficient. Then, let's move to the lettuces. Or carrots. or uh, Sorry, a little salad joke there. First one. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Now you have to kind of follow the analogy here that's happening. It's a temple analogy. And so the analogy is you're sprinkled and made clean to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What are we supposed to do with that? Draw near to God. How do you draw near to God in the temple? You go right to the Holy of Holies. Whoa. You mean I get to go there? Yes. You get to go there. In fact, the Bible commands you to draw near to God. Isn't that cool? Let us draw near to God. Second, let us. Let us hold unswervingly white-knuckled grip, hang on to, that's what it means, to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And third, let us, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I love that word spur. You know what the word spur means? First thing that comes to your mind is what? Yeah, horse. That's exactly what it means. That's exactly what it means. Picture yourself, you know, on the back of Jim Archer here, and you say, Archer, do good deeds, do good deeds, do good deeds. <laughs> it does. There's a, this, this word is used only one other place in the Bible, and it's used where Paul and Barnabas had such a strong disagreement that they had to separate ways for a while. The word strong disagreement is this word. Okay, It means spur. Take those things and dig them into Archer's back. Go, Archer, go. <laughs> you sit there, man, you become a sermon illustration, baby. So, yeah. <laughs> Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Fourth, or fourth, let us. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of our doing. But fifth one is let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the goal? What is the purpose of fellowship? It's not to meet your lonely heart. That's a byproduct and it will happen. The goal of fellowship is so that you may draw near to God. Oh, into the holy of holy places. And you get closer and closer. And this, this group of people in this room, or in your Bible studies, or your campus groups, or your Awana, or wherever groups you're part of, those things are there to support you, to push you, to urge you, to take its cleats and to dig into your back and say, Go! Go to God! The curtain is ripped! Run! That's what the purpose of fellowship is. Fellowship is not the end. Fellowship is the means. That's huge. That's huge. Because if you come into a fellowship saying, I want my needs filled. I'm lonely. I want friends. Nothing wrong with wanting friends. We're designed for a relationship, right? But if you make that your goal, you will be disappointed. People will let you down. I can guarantee it. Hope, I think hope is a great church. 
If you come here and you be part of this church and you get intimately involved, I can guarantee someone in this church will hurt you. I can guarantee I will profoundly hurt you. Sometimes just by not even just forgetting something or not moving towards you when you're hurting or whatever. I can guarantee it'll happen. I'm not, I'm not saying hope is a safe place. Hope is a dangerous place. That's because we try to foster community and that's a dangerous thing. If you're supported by the fellowship and your goal is God, you'll take even those pains where other people, even well-meaning people, even people who love you and want your best and hurt you, you'll use those things to get closer to God and not to rip on other people. Oh, that rotten church. Can't believe them. What's wrong with them? They hurt me. Let me make this real clear from another passage. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Do you see that? It all starts with Christ. If your goal is Christ, to know him better, then you will have fellowship. I had lunch this week with Mark Johnson. He's going to be our speaker. In three minutes, I had fellowship with this guy. Three minutes. We sat down. We kept chatting. It was a bond. Now, I think we have somewhat similar personalities, so that kind of helped. But there's just a fellowship because this guy, mm, 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 this guy just loves Jesus. And I'm just drawn to him. I can't wait to go on the spring retreat and sit and listen to this guy so I can be drawn to Jesus. This guy hangs out with the punkers downtown, and, and uh, Mark is just an average ex-suburban guy. So nothing special about Mark. Don't give him a copy of this. The, uh, <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a regular guy. But he just flat out loves Jesus. And there's something that draws me to people like that. Had lunch with them. Man, I didn't want to leave. They sat there for two hours talking. Fellowship of the ring clip. There were people that were part of that fellowship that actually hated each other. Over my dead body will this go to the hands of an elf. I even spit just like Gimli did. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> But they were bound together because of a purpose that was much greater than themselves. That's what fellowship is. That's what a fellowship is. That's the difference between like a Kiwanis club or, or a Lions club. Although they do have purposes too, but some, some that are just fraternal organizations where the whole point is fellowship, you, you lose the power. Christ designed this so that we would have power in our fellowship because the goal was him. Now, second BQ. Second BQ. If that's the ultimate purpose of biblical community, what did it look like, and how did they try to do that in this young church? If you go back to uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, what did it look like? Now, it would be a rotten thing done on a sermon on biblical community to not allow you to have about four minutes and have some community. So here's the deal. I'm not going to preach for four minutes. For four minutes, you're going to sit around. You're going to look at that passage. It's in your insert. You can do whatever you want. And you're just going to, every person, I want you to get in groups about six or so. Introduce yourselves real quick. I'm only giving you four minutes. So, And I want you to say, what element, or everybody name at least one if they can, what element of biblical community can you see just from this passage? Okay? So, you know, I'd like you to turn around towards people that, not everybody, some people stay forward, but some people turn around and face other people. And this is scary, I know. Community is scary. Scary to get to people next to you. They, they, you know, this is what it's about. So turn towards someone and make kind of a circle of about six people or so and uh, ask, answer the question, what are the elements you see here from biblical community? Go ahead, I'm going to give you about four minutes to do that.
Okay, let me hear. Let me hear some of the things. What are some elements? Don't have any, you know, I'm just looking at this whole bunch in here. What are some elements of biblical community? Just go ahead and shout them out. Norm reincarnate is back. <laughs> nice. Devotion to eating, is that what you said? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Okay. Eat actually, you know what? There is something about eating. God is a genius. There's something about eating together that's just here's the deal. You're too busy, you gotta eat, right? Take somebody with you to eat. Maybe they'll pay. Okay. <laughs> Give us some more. Devotion to the teaching, yes. They were devoted to it, good. Oops, I got two at once. Filled with awe. Yeah, they were just filled with awe what God was doing. There was another one at the same time. Selling their stuff and, and, and what? Oh, selling their stuff and giving it to anybody who had need. Great. Every day. There was some connection every day. In this case, for, for a while, they came every day to the temple courts. We'll read later in Acts where they didn't meet actually every day. But there was some everyday connection. Great. 24-7. They, they hung out. They came together. All the believers were together. Good. But they weren't exclusive because how do you know that? Every day we're at it. So there's all these people going on. What in the world are all you people doing? Oh, we can't wait to tell you. Do you know we get to go... Back, where the, back in the Holy of Holies now? Yeah, anyway, yeah. What's that? Oh, they praise God. I thought maybe you were just exclaiming it. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Yep. They praise God together. Something that happens when you worship together ties you together. Jim? Sincere hearts. They open themselves. They were transparent with one another. About their... They gave. They gave. They were givers to others. They gave their time, their treasure, their talents. They gave to each other. Yep. What else? Yeah. They met. I'm sorry. What? Very public spot. Very public spot. Yep. They met together. Didn't hide. They had the favor of all the people. Now, we're going to find out later in Acts that that changes. They don't have the favor of the people anymore. But uh, at this current time, they did. People were really attracted to them. Yeah. They had communion together. They celebrated the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. They devoted themselves to prayer for one another, for those people who were being added every day, those new fish who needed to be filleted up. These are great. These are great. Now, third BQ then. Leads, it obviously leads to the third BQ. How do you do that? How do you do that in the context of an American rugged individualistic culture? How do you have community in an American culture where that, doesn't, that isn't the norm? I was in Mexico. We were going to the store to get something. Everybody piles in the back of the pickup truck. We're just going to get, I don't know, what are we, I was going to say milk, but I don't think we had milk down there, but whatever, we're just going to get Cheetos, and everybody goes in the back of the, the pickup truck. We'll go down and get, 
I was in Thailand, the same thing. People just, they have a, a group mentality. Whoa, not here, not here. I mean, you guys just about freaked out a few minutes ago when I said, just seeing the looks on your faces. <laughs> Turn towards somebody, it's like, <gasps> I mean, other cultures, they'd be like, still talking over me. <laughs> we have a rugged individualistic culture. We got something, we not only have a culture that's like that, our culture derives technology that forces us out of community, right here. Cell phone, right? Nice. Cell phone, you can reach me anytime, any place. Um, it's going to make a joke and give Sam Hamlet's cell phone number there. I can't think of it offhand. But <laughs> I got a cell phone. You can reach me anytime, any place. You know what you give me over this? You give me information. I get information about you. You get information about me, we hang up. Because, you know, it's costing us. Our plans only got, you know, 400 minutes a month. So that's it. Before the cell phone, before the telephone, you know what people did? They went over to each other's houses. <laughs> Seriously. Just stop and think about that for a second. Before the phone, you, know, you just you'd think of these things you wanted to say to somebody, and then you'd go spend an afternoon with them. But we got a telephone now. Now, don't go and smash your telephones and get rid of yourself. I'm not saying that. However, however, uh, there, I think there is technology that at times we might need to reject because it's robbing us of community. How do we have community in this kind of culture? I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, I've done reading. I've thought about it this week. We are so swimming upstream on this one, I do not have an easy answer. I do know the answer involves pushing aside my rugged individualistic nature Pushing aside my technology that says, ah, I can just drop an email or an IM or a voicemail on their cell phone or whatever. Pushing that aside and just showing up at somebody's door and saying, how's it going? What's for dinner? <laughs> if we want to have that kind of community. Nobody said it, but Acts 2, go back one there, uh, Josh, would you? That takes a lot of time. Amen? That takes a lot of time. And we got to work on that. We got to figure out ways that we can do that with one another. Let me give you kind of my suggestions on how we can do this as a church and how you can do this in your own life. First thing, how do we apply this? First of all, make the goal of your fellowship, Jesus, not to satisfy your lonely heart. Hmm. Make the goal of your fellowship Jesus and not to satisfy your lonely heart. If you go into any relationship trying to satisfy your lonely heart, and I speak to a church that I know there are a lot of singles here. If you go into marriage because you think, I'm lonely and that'll make me unlo unlonely, you are, you, are, you are dead, man, or woman. It will not satisfy you. What you're looking for in marriage and in friendships and just casual fellowship is you're looking for partners who can help you on the road to Jesus. It is idolatry to look at people to have them to want to fill you. They are not the source. They are the resource. Second thing. 
Because of that, because you're after Jesus, then devote yourself to moving towards other people. This week I challenge you to take some time to move towards someone else that you might either just use technology or you're, uh, you're busy, your, your schedule was too busy. I was challenged at something. I was gone Monday and Tuesday. And I'm an adder. I just keep adding things to my life. And you've heard that phrase, uh, if you're going to add something, what are you going to subtract? This guy said something that I'm going to start applying it. If you're going to add one thing, what two things are you going to subtract? Because I'm already over the 110, 120% of time, right? You're going to add something? Okay, what goes? What are the two things that can go? If you move towards one another in love that way, and it takes time and it takes effort, I think that'll be support for you, and you'll all of a sudden, after a year or two years of doing that, you'll go, shoot, I got a lot of friends. How'd that happen? I got, you know, look what happened in the Lord of the Rings, guys. I so love the relationship between uh, Gimli and the elf. <clears throat> they just hail each other. And at the end, they're counting to see who kills more orcs. If that's your goal, to kill orcs, then that's a great thing. It would bind you together. And they're counting them. Look at ways, this week, look for ways that you can support others, and you'll find something amazing as you'll get supported in the process. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want you to be our end because you're the only worthy end. You're the only one in this fallen world who can satisfy my deep longings for relationship. And Lord, as I look out at everyone here this morning, I see people who are great resources. In fact, some of my dearest friends in the world are in this room right now. And yet, Lord, they're just, they're just resources. We need to put you on the throne and allow have you be the one who fills us. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, we would start to learn what biblical community is like. I, I think hope does well in this area, and yet we fall terribly short at times. We wound each other. So God, I pray that there would be a spirit of forgiveness here and a spirit of saying, I am in this together. We are on the same team. Let me help you up so we can go and, and to battle again. Lord, make us be the people that you have called us to be. God, would you transform even us in this room, the individuals and the whole of us, would you transform us, we pray in Christ's name.